Matthew chapter 10. We're going to read together here uh, from verses 5 all the way through 15. So if you would stand with me in honor of the reading of the words of our God. These twelve Jesus sent out, instructing them, Go nowhere among the Gentiles, and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and proclaim as you go, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You receive without pay, give without pay. Acquire no gold, nor silver, nor copper for your belts, no bag for your journey, nor two tunics, nor sandals, nor a staff, for the laborer deserves his food. And whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it, and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it, but if it's not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet. When you leave that house or town, truly I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. Let's pray. God, I pray for us, incline our hearts to desire your word, open our eyes to be able to to see it. God, indeed, let us be able to hear your words being spoken through this text so that we might be changed. In your son's name that we pray. Amen. I know, I know very little about keeping up with the Kardashians And frankly, my aim is to keep it that way. So I did not do a lot of research for this introduction here, because I do not want my mind poisoned with whatever they have going on on that show. So please forgive me if I don't have the plot exactly right. I I consider it a higher virtue to know nothing about the show than to know something about that show. So if you are a Kardashians fan, I apologize if you are offended already. Basically, my understanding of the show is that it revolves around basically the lives of these sisters, the Kardashian sisters. And the cameras literally follow them and their boyfriends, if they have a boyfriend at the time, or their husbands, if they have a husband at that time, all around the uh, globe trying to figure out what's going on in this family. And it's just for the purpose of our own entertainment, right? We get to watch, thankfully, the Kardashians live their lives on our TV screens all the time, if we so desire. But when I, what I do know about this show is that the way that it began, it had to have somebody who said, you know what would be a great idea? What would be a really great idea is if we took that family and we followed them around with cameras wherever they went. And, and, and somebody told somebody that told somebody that said, hey, this is a great idea for us to make some, some money. 
And what's perhaps even more astonishing than that is, is that whenever they, they approached the family and they said, hey, we think that you would make great reality TV stars, they said, you know what? You're probably right. We would be amazing reality TV stars. We would be a really entertaining night for Americans all over this place. See, but the truth is, is that this is really not that astonishing, is it? See, see, none of us are far off from making that same declaration about ourselves on a daily basis. The truth is, is that sin convinces us that we would make great stars, that we, we would make great entertainment for everyone. All of our own lives center around our own world. From, from the moment that we wake up in the morning to the time that we go to bed at night, the spotlight, as it were, shines down upon us. What am I going to wear today? What am I going to do today? Anybody email me last night? Where's my cell phone? I've got to, I've got to check it out. Anybody Facebook me last night? Any, any missed calls in the, in the middle of the night? Better, better check the caller ID. Oh, there's a text that must have come in after I went to sleep. But nobody thinks about our finances, our career, our health, our favorite chair, our personality type, our social status, our wit, our charm, our legacy, our tan line, our to-do list, our pet peeves, our high school football career, our day at the lake, our fingernail colors, our jewelry, our new pickup, and our ability to drive in the snow compared to, to everyone else's more than we do. We are our own heroes, aren't we? We are our own stars. And in our minds, we are, we are worthy of the attention that we give ourselves. So, sure, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe there are some, right, who, who don't consider themselves worthy of much. And, you, and, you're, and you're listening to me say this, and you're going, okay, hilarious that you're, you think that. I, I pretty much think that I'm, I'm worthless. I, I assure you, even you... Nine times out of ten, to be generous, if there is a mirror in the bathroom, or if there is a mirror in J.C. Penney's as you're walking by it, you will glance to see how you look at that moment. In fact, I would venture even so far as to say even the, the lowest self-esteem in the room, the one who values themselves the least in the room, thinks about their shortcomings far more than they think about Anything else. <clears throat> so even the self-deprecating among us find ourselves at least worthy of enough esteem to spend all of our time evaluating ourselves. Even if our assessment is poor, we think that we are worthy to frankly think about how poor we are. So whether we are self-centered because we think so highly of ourselves all of the time, or whether we are self-centered because we think so poorly of ourselves all the time, the fact is, is that we, by nature, are, are self-centered. And in our, in our minds, we, we are worthy to some degree of the attention that we give ourselves. And the culture at large feeds on that, don't they? Are you pretty enough? 
Are you young enough? Are you hip enough? Are you rich enough? Are you tough enough? Are you funny enough? Are you, are you man, enough, man enough? Are you, are you country enough? And, and dare we even say, are you, are you Christian enough to belong? Are you worthy enough? And so there's a lot of ways. This is really, there is, there's no joke. It's a, there, there are people here in this room, and perhaps even all of us to one degree or another, that are constantly evaluating our own self-worth based upon all of these things or something like them. Am I a good enough mom? Am I a good enough dad? Am I good enough to marry? Am I good enough for that group of friends? I want to challenge us this morning that the answer to our questions is maybe. And it also may be, maybe not. But Jesus is not really interested in those categories. Jesus wants to redefine what worth means for us this morning. Because Jesus is going to define it to to mean something completely different than perhaps even the questions that we are constantly asking ourselves on a daily basis to determine whether or not we have value as people. Because here in Matthew chapter 10, when he sends out the twelve, he sends them out on a quest. And their quest is nothing short of but to look for the worthy among the lost sheep. Of the house of Israel. And his standard. His standard for worthy. It's not complex. It's not multifaceted. It's not. It's not ever changing. It is monolithic. It's unique. It's consistent. And. It is incredibly. Provocative. And it's offensive. So offensive, offensive, in fact, that we will see in the coming weeks, we will see, and like in verse 17, he says, Beware of men, for, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues, and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake. And then in verse 21, he says, Brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child, and children will rise against parents and and have them put to death, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. And, And interestingly, interestingly, all of these beatings, all of these persecutions, and brothers betraying brothers, and fathers betraying children, and children their parents, revolves around the question, what determines a person's self-worth. So Jesus is now sending them out to the lost sheep of the house of Israel to find out who are the worthy there. Their quest is is not much different than an NFL scout. Their quest is not much more different than an American idol judge or even an attention-hungry cheerleader who's constantly serving the crowd for their friends to find out who is the worthy to follow them. See, they too are on a quest. The disciples are on a quest. They're looking for the worthy of the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Israel and their worth was determined by the fact that God had called them out of Egypt. This is what they were supposed to remember. Whenever they considered their value, 
If you want to know your own worth, remember that God has made you his people. That's your value. That's your worth. They also were to consider the fact that God had had promised them that there would be a king that would reign over them forever. You would be a good king. And their worth in this time when, when there was no king over Israel was that God would send a king, someone to deliver them from the tyranny of the Roman Empire there in their day. And yet, and yet there they sat with no king. Their leaders had failed them. They were like a sheep without a shepherd. Their shepherds in the past had been terrible. And now they were in exile in their own land. They, I guess you could say, they were, they were struggling with their own self-worth. Their leaders had failed them. And now they were like sheep without a shepherd. And a sheep without a shepherd is not worth much. Sheep without a shepherd may wander around with no water to drink. They would be susceptible to all kinds of attacks from from wolves and, and other predators that wanted their life. They could be stolen by thieves. No one would be there to shear them and, and actually give them the value that was theirs. They were worthless, vulnerable creatures with no value. Without a shepherd, they could not reach their full potential. Their worth was of a limited value with no shepherd. And and in Jesus' compassion here, on these people who were harassed and like a sheep without a shepherd, he sends out his 12 disciples with, with some incredibly good news to them. You have a shepherd. A shepherd who brings value to sheep. All of the things that, that make you worthy are, are finally here. There are these 12 or I am sending out have some, some really good news for you, Israel. Your time of waiting is over. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. The, the reign of God has come. Look at how these disciples heal and, and raise the dead and cast out demons. That's the kingdom of God and it's, and it's, and it's come. Your shepherd has come. He has, he has not left you. This is, this is good news. So the disciples were to go out looking for the worthy among the sheep of the house of Israel. And in case some of the disciples were thinking, casting out demons, healing the sick, raising the dead, this could be very lucrative for us if we play our cards right. We could increase our worth tremendously here, couldn't we? guys. Certainly, there will be many who would be willing to let go large uh, sums of cash for the services that we will be able to perform. And in case they were thinking that, Jesus says to them, you receive without pay, in verse 8, give without pay. The single most important thing that I can tell you before you go and do this ministry is that you receive without pay, give without pay. Do not forget that this mercy came upon you and and it came upon you freely. Give it freely. 
Do you receive it for nothing? Give it for nothing. And then, and then he seems to contradict himself just in a couple of sentences later. After he tells them that this is going to be a quick journey, he tells them, don't pack up any gold, don't pack any two tunics, don't pack any of those kinds of things up. This is going to be a quick journey. Go, go do it. He says, for the laborer deserves his food. See, it's important for us here that, to understand that this word here, deserves, is the exact same word that is translated worthy in the text to come. In other words, you have worth, disciples. Take no pay, for you received it freely, but do not for a moment think that you have no value in your task. You have worth in this task that I'm giving you. You are heralds of good news. This is where your worth comes from. It comes from this. So very practically to understand this, think about the way that a church relates to its pastors. The job of the church is not to pay the pastor a wage. He's, he's not the hired hand. I'm not the hired hand. He, he does not get so much per sermon, so much per prayer, so much per baptism, so much per counseling session, so much per inch of rain as if I had anything to do with that in the first place. And he does not get his pay docked for counselees that go crazy. And he does not lose pay for sermons that go past 12. This is not the way that we view pastor. No, the church's job is to provide for the needs of its pastoral staff. It's very much what you guys do for us. You provide for the needs of the pastors financially so that we are freed up to do the work of the church, to do the work of the ministry without the constraints or the worries of finances. So, so to put it another way, if, if a wage was to be proportionate to the minister's worth, it would be very easy to say, okay, if bankers make millions handling people's money, how much should a minister make handling people's souls? The difference between a wage and support. And what Jesus is saying here is he's saying, no, don't, don't think of it that way, disciples. You didn't pay a dime when you received it. Give without pay. Let no one accuse you of being a peddler of the gospel. Do you see the point here? Do you see it? God's mercy upon them had been free. They were made disciples of Jesus by no dollar, no perceived goodness within them, no charismatic personality trait, no merit, no work, no striving of their own. So don't for a minute communicate to the people that you're going to minister to that this mercy is anything but the free, sovereign mercy of God. Give it freely. Give without pay. You received it without pay. But the worker deserves his worth. The worker deserves his support. Equipped with this message, you are worthy of that support. You have a worth. You have a value. And you are to be cared for by those whom you benefit. And it's this question of worth now, right? 
He's saying, disciples, remember what makes you worthy for what you receive. And now, as you go out looking for the worthy, remember that the same thing that made you worthy for what you received, this is the kind of the worthy that you are to be looking for. This this idea of worthy is now going to dominate the rest of our time. See, there are a lot of answers to the question, what makes you worthy? Money, a spot on the team, Power, prestige, influence, beauty, athletic prowess. We could go on. You take your, you take your pick. According to Jesus here, there is truly only one answer to the question. One answer to the question. In this immediate context, the answer to that question is how the people respond to the disciples. If they receive you, let your peace come upon their house. If not, let your peace return to you. But in the broader context of chapter 10, the reason why they are worthy, if they receive the disciples, the reason why these people are worthy if they receive the disciples is because when they receive the disciples, they are receiving Jesus. In verse 40, whoever receives you receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. So whether or not they are worthy, whether or not they have Worth, whether or not have value, is based upon their acceptance of Jesus as the Messiah, as the Savior. That's, that's, that's whether they're worthy or not. That's offensive. And to make it even more offensive, he says in verse 37, Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. What this means is, the reason why this is offensive is, is that their worth, your worth, my worth, our worth is based upon and determined by whether or not we value Christ beyond even our own family. So to, to, put it in, to put it in plain English for all of us, if we seek to find our worth, our value, our worthiness in anything else, any, anything else but Christ, we are the definition of fools. And our perceived worthiness of ourselves is but an illusion. See, we may believe ourselves to be worthy because when we were younger, we played college football. But that's a lie. Worth is not determined by how good you once were. Being beautiful may make you feel worthy. It may even bring us compliments and a lot of friends, and dare we say even especially a lot of guy friends by the boatloads. But it is, and listen... It's of no value to you. None. No value. And it also means that if if you are not beautiful, you can give up the quest for it. Because the danger is not that you'll find it. The danger is that you will find it. And that when you do find it, you will bow down to it and, and you will worship it and you will start determining your worth by it. 
And fathers, this means that, that, that your sons, our sons and, and our daughters, they, they need us to teach them their value. And it's completely unrelated to their success on the football field or the basketball court. And we can't be reminded of that too often as dads. We need fathers who are bound and determined to teach their sons about their worth in Christ. We need fathers who who find their worth in Christ, don't we? Not in their ability to explain how to properly explode out of a three-point stance. Man, this is your task. This is your task in the home. And it is a tremendous privilege. This is a tremendous privilege, men, that you get to, to head up in your homes. This is, this, it doesn't get any better than this task. And the beauty of it is it really is, and I mean this, it's really hard to mess up. Dad, I, I just can't hit a curveball. I cannot hit a curveball. I see that thing coming and I, I panic. I know, son, keep trying. Keep swinging. Don't give up. Remember, you've got to stay in the box. When you see that thing coming at your head, wait as long as you can before you start your swing. And when when the thing starts to break to the outside of the plate, slap that thing into the opposite field. You want to swing inside out on a ball that's breaking away from you. You don't have to try to pull every pitch. Sometimes it's better just to get the single. Be be the best baseball player that you can possibly be. But, But isn't it great at the end of the day that the Lord finds our value outside of us, outside of this game in Christ? That's something that can never be taken away from us, son. We're going we're gonna to work hard, son. Don't you worry. And we're, we're going to try hard not to fail. And I will stand out here and I will throw you curveball after curveball after curveball until your hands are bleeding. But we, we together, son, we, we are putting our value there at the end of the day. Our worth is in Christ. And that is great news. You see... Jesus is telling his disciples here that that they are to look for the worthy. They are worthy because they value the Messiah above all things, not their social status. In 11 through 14, in whatever town or village you enter in, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or that town. In other words, if they do not value you, disciples, they do not value me as the Messiah. And therefore, they are unworthy of you. And even more importantly, they are unworthy of me. So leave them there in their judgment as you go. There are too many houses. There are too many towns. The harvest is plentiful and the workers are few. Move on. Find those who are worthy of the Messiah. Find them in haste. Frankly, the obstinate, the the hard-hearted, the self-righteous, they're not worthy of me. They're not worthy of your time. Make haste and go preach the gospel. The Lord won't forget them. The Lord will remember them. In fact, He will remember them exactly like He remembered those two towns He completely wiped out and destroyed because of their sexual immorality. 
Truly I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. Well, isn't that, isn't that offensive? <laughs> well, yes, it is. It is. In fact, this is the message you preach. And when you preach it, your very life is in danger when you preach it. Your life, your social status will be in danger over an issue we did not think it would be in danger over. Our life will be in danger over the issue of whether or not a person is worthy because of X. Our lives are in danger over the issue of what makes a person valuable. You are going and you are preaching to a bunch of people who base their self-worth upon their righteousness, their social status, their wealth, their work ethic, and maybe even their family. And you're going to them and you're going to tell them no None of that makes you worthy. All of those things are are false gods. They are idols. Idols can do nothing for you. It does not matter whether an idol appreciates you or not. Idols are powerless. What matters is that you are worthy of Christ. Worthy of compliments? No. Worthy of Christ. Worthy of of a promotion? No, 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 no. Worthy of the Messiah. Worthy of friends? No. Worthy of acceptance by God. Worthy to play under the lights on Friday night? No. Worthy of Christ. Worthy of being loved and appreciated and liked? No. Worthy of the gospel, my friends. We have to be the people who reject self-worth found anywhere else but in the gospel. In the gospel alone. You might say, well, that's offensive. I might answer back, yes, it is. It's incredibly offensive. Extremely offensive to our world, who especially our world, that thinks that worth can be found anywhere and in multiple amount of places. As long as you find it, find your worth, you can find it anywhere, but the only sin is that if you don't find your worth somewhere, It's offensive to say that worth is only found in one place. But it is crucial. In fact, Jesus says, if you are found unworthy of him, the disciples will dust their feet off when they leave your home or your town and you will be left in a position of judgment that will be far worse for you than it was for Sodom and Gomorrah. That's the church's message. That's what we say. And it's offensive. And the only reason we do not have people rioting outside of the doors, even now, is because they don't understand what we're we're saying. It's offensive. Why do you think magazine companies and book publishers and motivational speakers spend so much time and money and energy trying to convince all of society that they can give you worth, that they can give you value? Why do you think there is so much pull from friends and family and financial institutions for you to find your worth and what they are peddling. What makes you tick? What 
you use to describe yourself, what, what gets you up in the morning, what you are saving for, what eats up your income every month, what occupies your thoughts. There, there you will find your worth. And where you find your worth, there you will find your worship. And where you find your worship, there you will find your allegiance. And if ultimately you find it anywhere else, anywhere else but in Christ, those things will not last. They do not matter. The truth is that the only opinion, the only opinion that matters is the opinion of the God who, who created us. And the bad news is, is that because of our sin, that opinion is not very good of us. But the good news, the good news is, is that in Christ, and only in Christ, that sin is paid for. The Lord looked down upon him and said, He is worthy. You want worth? Be in Christ. He alone is worthy. And and the good news for us is there is our worth too. It stares us in the face. It has a name. Jesus. See, we can go from a state of, of limited worth to one of supreme worth in a moment. A worth that will find the the creator of the universe looking down and and saying, that guy is a terrible football player. She has no shot of winning a beauty contest, that girl. That guy, he's, he's been a lousy, terrible father. Selfish, self seeking. Ha ha, but in Christ. They are mine. And because they are mine, they are worthy. Worth is found only in one place. Worth answers to only one name. It answers to the name of Jesus. And to all of us in this room who find themselves in Christ, you have great value today. Great value. Because you're in Christ. If you're not, I pray that you and hope that you would find your value there. You would find your worth there. And if you'd like to know more about that, come talk to me. Come talk to Jeff. Come talk to uh, one of the deacons or just a friend that you know and trust in the room. I would love to to, uh, help us to all see our supreme value in Christ. Let's pray. God, we are grateful for you. We are grateful that we have a tremendous amount of worth in Christ. That sin marred our worth. It, it destroyed our value. But, but you looked down upon Christ and you saw that he was worthy. And Father, if we are in Christ, we too are worthy as well. Our sins paid for. His righteousness. Our righteousness. And we now may be able to say... We are the worthy of God. In the name that we pray. Amen.